This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I swear, everything the NCAA touches turns into a forest fire. This whole Tez Walker thing, I'm going to explain it in a second if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, It was breaking earlier today. I changed the order of the show. I wanted to lead the show with it. And there are these two camps out there. 80% of people are outraged. About 20% of people are saying, no, no, no. This is actually why it happened. The NCAA actually has a leg to stand on. And I'm like, read chapter one of the book. You're on chapters two and three. Read chapter one. Late Kick is live. We are jam-packed, high atop an anxious downtown Nashville, Tennessee on this Thursday night, September 7th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Anxious because upsets are coming, people. Now, I don't know where. I've got fairly good guesses on the show tonight. Uh, It could be a bad week for the SEC because the SEC's got a lot of weird out-of-conference games. Do you know Arizona plays Mississippi State? Do you know Ole Miss is going to Tulane? Do you have any idea that Vandy's a 10-point dog at Wake Forest. A lot of things are on the table. Auburn's playing in Berkeley, California this weekend. So yeah, for a conference that already was bumpy out of the gate, let's keep an eye on it. I got added best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express. I got Cole Kublik on the show tonight. Yes, friends, Cole Cuts is back. He saw Bama up close last week. I'll ask him what he thought about that offensive line. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. Clemson, like, is the version of that program that won titles really done? Are we overreacting? Could we see could we see bounce backs from certain programs? They're watching us in Temple, Georgia, Romania, like the actual country. Our troops are over there, actually, because one of them checked in. So salute to all of our men and women watching in Romania. Union, Missouri, San Clemente, California. Thank you guys so much. After this show concludes, and we are live as live can be right now, after it concludes, I'm hopping in a rental car. I think they gave me a Camry. Pretty sure I had Bradley, the associate, drop me off at budget earlier today. And we appreciate that because that's been a chore in this building today, let me tell you. Um, I'm heading down to Tuscaloosa tonight and we'll be doing coverage from there tomorrow. Not, not late kick, but we will be doing coverage for CBS Sports HQ. And then, buddy, we're on the field Saturday night, Texas, Alabama. That's going to be a really fun one. I am looking forward to seeing you. We always get received very warmly in Tuscaloosa, but it is no time for warmth on this show. It is no time for people to feel good. We can feel good later. Immunity. Right now, Colin, let's cut that out of the individual video. Uh, I've got to talk to you about some egregiousness that went down today. So the Tez Walker situation at North Carolina has been unfolding for weeks and really for several weeks. And I've explained it to you. That's the kid that once upon a time played at the lower level, and then he transferred to Kent State because at the lower level, their season got canceled because of COVID. So he never played a down. Now, he transferred the following spring, but I don't care about that because he never played a down of football there. So he transfers to Kent State, becomes all Mac, then transfers to North Carolina. If you're keeping track at home, yes, friends, that adds up to two transfers. You only get one transfer penalty free, but here's the thing. Anyone with a lick of common sense understands there are extenuating circumstances in the room with Tez Walker's specific situation. He's also claiming ailing family member, mental health. The reason I sound so dismissive of that is because I think he should have gotten his waiver accepted even without those in the room. But that all led today to his waiver being denied. The NCAA took their sweet time, which I'll talk about in a second, and they brought down the gavel on the table and they said, denied. Why? 
We don't have to tell you, but it's denied. Now, I'm fortunate that the audience on this show includes a bunch of compliance people. There are tons of, of people in football period who watch the show, but I got a fair amount of compliance folks who watch the show. So they've been pretty consistently in my DMs. I text back and forth with a number of them, and they've been keeping me up to speed because while the public has been outraged about this, because all they see is a kid getting screwed by the NCAA, and I'm right there with you, the folks in the compliance side of things have been telling me, now, Josh, hold on a second. Hold on. The NCAA is only enforcing the rules that coaches and administrators ask them to enforce, and they're right. They are right about that. So how could I agree with both parties, you may ask? How could I agree that the NCAA is enforcing rules that coaches and administrators beg them to create and enforce, but also think the NCAA is screwing the kid? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. One of those is from chapter three of the book that we're reading right now. The other is from chapter two. Both of them think they're the only chapter in the book. So the crowd that's outraged right now could not hear another explanation. All they think is Tez Walker got screwed. The folks on the other side, halfway defending the NCAA right now, they think that this is just emotion over here on this side of the fence. And those folks are all bent out of shape. But if they could just take a second and remove the emotion from the room and insert some logic, they would know the NCAA is not the villain here. The kid transferred not once but twice. The NCAA is merely enforcing rules that coaches, including Mac Brown in the past, begged them to create and enforce. So how's that only chapter two? Well, you're forgetting about chapter one. Really, both of you are forgetting about chapter one. Chapter one was when that group in Indianapolis at NCAA headquarters dropped this entire thing in your lap with no advanced warning. You forget about that? I'm talking about the ones defending this today. Did you forget about that? Did you forget about when the NCAA said, hey, transfer portal's here, baby, and you have had no time to get ready for this, and we really don't know how it's going to work, but here you go. Remember that? It's kind of like um, I was trying to come up with a good metaphor, and I really couldn't, so this is the best I could do. Let's just say, let's say tomorrow you're out at a picnic. Let's say, you know what? It's tailgate season. Let's say tomorrow you're out at a tailgate, and there's a beehive up in the tree, but it's okay. Minding their own business, you're minding your own business. And some dude just waltzes up with a baseball bat and whacks that beehive. And you got bees everywhere. And so someone's got a, a bottle of Raid and you're just yelling, spray it, spray it. We're getting stung, we're getting stung. So you just raid the entire tailgate. And then all the food's ruined. And so people start complaining after a little while. Yeah, the bees are dead, but the food's ruined. And so people's stomachs start growling and the kids start crying and you're like, hey, we need to go get some more food. Hey, buddy. Hey, can, can, can we borrow some food? And you look over and it's the dude who had the baseball bat who happens to be in the tailgate next to you. And he says, nope, sorry. Remember, sure, it's on you. You're the one who asked me to spray that raid. And then there's this third person over here who's just an innocent bystander saying, wait a second. Yeah, they asked you to spray the raid. That's only because... You're the idiot who hit the hornet's nest with a baseball bat in the first place. The NCAA is the one who hit the hornet's nest. The NCAA is the reason that the coaches got all bent out of shape and said, you guys got to put some rules in and enforce them. And now the NCAA, after they created the mess, comes in the back door and screws a kid who's trying to transfer, and they're using the technical letter of the law and hiding behind that as their defense and unbeknownst to people who don't know any better, it's their fault all along. So even if you're right about the NCAA saying, well, hey, you asked us to enforce the rules. We asked you to enforce the rules because you had to create the rule because you created the mess. That's, that's chapter one of the book. That's what happened before chapter two and chapter three. And by the way, did it occur to anyone else out there how long this whole thing took? Did it occur to anyone else? You could literally, you could cancel Spectrum Cable in the state of Florida right now quicker than we get resolution from the NCAA. I'm talking to Cooper Patagna earlier today, and he was kind of kind of laying out what actually takes so long about this. And I listened to it, and I really don't care. I care about him. I don't care about the technical reasoning. I don't care that the NCAA doesn't acknowledge one sport over the other and it just goes in a queue and if track and field's first in line, then track and field at William & Mary is going to be heard before 
wide receiver at North Carolina in our highest revenue producing sport by a million miles that has immediate deadlines in place. We got a season approaching. They don't care. They don't care because they don't have to care. If you've ever been to the DMV and watched the collective attitude of 95% of the employees there, you get how the NCAA operates. If you've been through TSA lately, not all of you, I got some friends in TSA, but a lot of TSA employees, you get it. There's no competition in their field. They can do whatever they want. Nothing's happening to them. And it's the same way with the NCAA. You, you never see them. You're nameless, faceless people who know that no matter how bad they suck at their job today, and no matter how thoroughly they screw student athletes today, they're going to be right back there in their same parking spot tomorrow morning. And that's that. They operate with like diplomatic immunity. They operate with a giant safety net under them. Do they really care about kids? No. Do they really care about teams? No. Do they care about fans? Certainly not. They just get to exist. And because someone gave them the power and authority, they've got it. I've seen a lot of people today asking, what would happen if North Carolina just played this kid anyway? And the answer is, well, they can't do that. And then the response is, well, who says? Well, the NCAA says, yeah, but what if they do it anyway? It's like enforcing a new law in your community. The law only gets enforced if you've got a governing body able to enforce it. If you don't, then you might as well not have a law. And in NCAA circles, you tell me Tez Walker can't play. Okay, well, I play him anyway. Like, what's the next move? No one really knows that answer. I don't claim to either. I don't know what the domino effect would be. I just know there are a lot of coaches who have looked at this and, and called Mac Brown disingenuous. They've called North Carolina's approach posturing, and they've, they've thought of it more as theater because they've thought behind the scenes. North Carolina knew the rule. And North Carolina went and got that kid anyway, and they knew it was his second transfer, and they knew what the rules were, and they thought they were just going to bully the NCAA. And my thing is, you are right. That's exactly what they thought. Let's just remember why the rule was even put in place to begin with. Let's even remember why folks like Mac Brown lobbied for rules like that to be put in place to begin with. It's not because Mac Brown just all of a sudden decided he didn't like transfers. It's because the new transfer portal era and rules therein got dropped in folks' laps by the NCAA. You create the mess. How about you clean it up for once? I don't know. So this really bothered me. It bothered me for several weeks. It bothered me also the glacial pace it moved at. Uh, there is no way that that should take that long. Just like investigations, there's no way they should take like that long. But yet they do. All right. Now that's sad times. Let's talk about some happy times. I got word from the uh, Pate State Warehouse last night via text that our Once Upon a Saturday shirt commemorating this week's tour stop in Tuscaloosa is already the third bestseller in the store. And it's only available one week. I'm showing you a picture of the shirt right now. Uh, it's Once Upon a Saturday tour. We do it once a week. We go to a different game every week. And we have the commemorative shirt, Texas at Alabama. But the thing about it is, after Saturday night, that's never available again. And when I reveal where we're going next week on Sunday night, new shirt populates the store. Well, that one's been flying out of the store. So I just wanted to say a quick thank you to you guys. I love the design. I think most of you do as well. So voila, there we go. We'll be in Tuscaloosa all weekend. Upsets. Could we see them all over the country this weekend? Sure, we've talked about Texas, Alabama. We've talked about Texas A&M, Miami, but there are several other games. We've talked about Oregon, Texas Tech, but, you know, Ole Miss goes to Tulane this weekend. The line on this game is seven and a half. And I want to know what's going to happen. This is Tulane's game. Like, this is their shot. You understand that Ole Miss has several other Power 5 games on their schedule. Pretty much anyone else who's going to contend or hope to contend has a bunch of opportunities to beef their resume up. This is the shot for Tulane. Tulane could never hope to sniff the college football playoff if they lose this game. They know they got to have it. And um, I believe they'll play like that. You know, Michael Pratt, the quarterback, the one who ended up coming back and beating USC in the bowl game, oh, he's still there. Uh, they faced South Alabama last week, by the way. Pretty good defensive team, 37-17, no big deal. Pratt was 14 of 15 for nearly 300 through the air, four touchdowns, um, added another 40-some-odd yards rushing. So keep an eye on this. 
It's just there's not a ton of separation between these teams. Ole Miss, seven and a half, I said, as the favorite. Let's just be careful with that one. That's part one of an out-of-nowhere nightmare scenario for the SEC. I'll get back to that in a second. A game that I'm paying a lot of attention to because we're taking the underdog in the points is App State at North Carolina. Uh, This game happened last year. Does anyone out there remember? I know you guys in Boone and Chapel Hill do. Uh, The final was 63-61. to Yes, App State scored 61 and lost this game last year. We had an FBS record happen in this game. 62 points were scored in the fourth quarter. 62. Most of your over-unders this Saturday will not be 62, period. And they scored it in the fourth quarter. FBS record. App State's got that kind of reputation. It started all the way back with that Michigan upset, and it's just, it's permeated. It's, it's maintained itself ever since, and App State's reputation is one that you don't even check who their players are. You just hear, we're playing App State? Uh-oh. And the thing about it is, it's not hype. Like, it's pretty validated. App State is not a team that you, you scroll through your score feeds on Saturday and see getting blown out a whole lot. And so, there they are, an 18-and-a-half-point dog Ramen Noodle Express best bet there. We, we jumped on them last week, or I jumped on them uh, last show, and we got App State plus 18 and a half. I really, really am just interested in the whole dynamic around North Carolina. Not even the Tez Walker thing, but just how sky high that program and team is because they won last week. Uh, the defensive line looking like it is totally emerged. And if that's true, that warrants this 18 and a half point line. I just know how college football works too. So I'm a little bit leery of this one. I think North Carolina wins the game, but it's worth talking about in an upset alert section. Uh, You know, Oklahoma just completely splattered Arkansas State all over Norman last week. Just painted the walls with their blood. And here comes SMU into town this week. It's really a good barometer game, I think, for Oklahoma's defense. A lot more than last week. 16 and a half. That's the number. Sooners are favored over SMU. This game could be a tougher challenge for Oklahoma than half of their conference schedule could be. I mean, SMU, we were talking earlier as a staff about where they would sort of slot themselves if we just put them in the Big 12 this year. And we think around middle of the pack, just like a a good, solid Big 12 opponent. And uh, that's what Vegas sees. That's about the kind of number you would see if a middle of the pack Big 12 opponent came in there. Preston Stone is the quarterback at SMU. I think those of you who follow recruiting probably remember that name. If you don't follow recruiting, he was a top 150 player in the country a couple of cycles ago. Really good player. And what you also need to know is SMU had the number 13 portal class in America this past cycle. Only G5 team in the top 40. And there was only one other one in the top 50. I think ECU, I think Eastern Carolina was at like 49th. So, so SMU is a really good team now. And SMU with Rhett Lashley, very upset-minded. As much as we talk about Tulane, this is their shot. This is their strength of schedule booster. And lastly, to go back to the SEC theme for a second, I'm going to talk to Cole Kublick in the show later. His crew has this game Saturday night. Arizona at Mississippi State. Mississippi State went out there and won this one pretty comfortably last year. They're favored by nine and a half at home. So just think about what the story is there. The story there is if you shave out home field advantage, if you put these two teams on a neutral field, we're looking at under a touchdown spread uh, or under a touchdown gap, should I say, in the Vegas eye between these two teams. Do you believe that? Or do you want to argue against it, I guess? Even if you don't believe it, do you want to argue against it? Jaden Delora is the quarterback there at Arizona. Really good player. Good at using the entire field. Good wide receivers to work with. You know who Mississippi State plays next week? I say it with clenched teeth. They play LSU. And I happen to have some friends around Starkville, and I know which game they're talking about, and they're starting to hype up as a really good matchup for them. They love their wide receivers. They love their passing game. They especially see some vulnerability in that secondary, and it's not the Arizona team they're talking about. They're talking about LSU. Don't be overlooking Arizona. Don't let them come in there and sneak around. Single-digit spread. Telling you, the SEC's got an interesting week. We got that game right there. You got Ole Miss at Tulane, Auburn's at Cal. I didn't even hardly talk about that game. And of course, you've got A&M at Miami, four and a half point spread. You got Texas at Alabama, touchdown spread. (sighs) 
Last week, I mean, we had LSU go down. We had South Carolina go down. You, you could be looking at a really, really, really shaky start for the conference. So keep an eye. Colin, I may have to sneeze. It's there. No. Nah. Yeah, nope, nope, it's not coming yet. Immunity. I'll let you know. We don't have a hand sign for I need to sneeze, so I'll just do it on air, but I'll let you know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Academy Sports and Outdoors is where I think you guys have about 24 hours to get if you want to get ready for tailgating Saturday. Now, some of you had road games in week one, so you didn't get to enjoy the tailgating experience. That's fine. I would assume most of your teams are at home if they were on the road in week one. Academy Sports and Outdoors. Tents, check. Grills, check. Canopies, check. The chairs that you absolutely need, check. Coolers, check. You got multiple brand names there. I would just encourage you guys to go there because I love them, because they make the show free. They are our exclusive partner. And also, if you can't get there in person, that's probably a little bit late for this week, but hit them up for next week. Academy.com. Got all your outdoor sporting goods supplies. We're opening up new locations later this month. I'm almost ready to tell you about those. And we, we were, we're like puzzle pieces, we in Academy. We go together, hand in glove, and we really appreciate them for having our back. Before I get to the added best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express, and then we got Cole Kublik coming in here, really good conversation with him. I wanted to talk to you about something that a number of you have been DMing me about. So many of you have been either emailing me or DMing me, and you've been asking me whether I think we should just do away with rankings in the preseason and whether we should do away with rankings until like week four or week five. And I've never talked about it on the show a single time. What, what's the problem? The real problem. I know what some of you say the problem is. Some of you say, and this is an innocent enough thought, like there's logic behind this. Some of you think, that if we come into a season where there's a bad team, but everyone thinks they're good, so they're, they're falsely inflated in the polls, it takes forever for that team to drop down to where they should be, and they enjoy an unfair benefit of the doubt. Conversely, there could be a really good team, but if no one believes in them, it takes them forever to rise up the ladder. But my question has always been, what does it actually impact? We're not in the AP era anymore. We're not even in the BCS era anymore. None of these people's votes, unfortunately, the JP poll itself is not even baked into the college football playoff criteria or the committee. And so I, I keep asking for everyone who gets bent out of shape because every team's not slotted exactly where you want them to be. What's the harm? That we're, we're not curing cancer here. Like this is college football. People are just having fun. So let's walk this through for just a second. I'm not going to take too long on this, but let's say I... This is not a pen. I have a magic wand in my hand. And boppity boo, there you go. Okay, you got your wish. It is now a federal crime for anyone to release a college football poll or power ranking or rating before week four. What are they going to do? What's, are we just going to sketch it on a pizza box instead? We're going to run polls underground instead? Are we going to bootleg? Pull? Like, polls aren't going anywhere. People thinking about college football teams in order of lists and rankings and ratings, it's not going anywhere. What, you, you take away the ability to post it on the internet, so people just think it instead. People still talk about it, but we're not, we're not allowed to release this. But hey, if, if we did it, where would you put NC State? Hey, do you think Clemson's better than Tennessee? I do too, yeah. Stuff's still going to go on. Everybody has preconceived notions. Well, what else are you going to do in July? Hang out with your family? 
I know some of your families. I know how you feel about some of your families. That's halfway joking. You guys know that I love you. But um, that's not going to happen. Completely unrealistic. Secondly, it doesn't matter when you're releasing polls, people. It doesn't matter if you're a ranker or if you're a power rater like I am. The key is inflexibility. The key is just to make sure that you don't get married to your preseason opinions. Like Mimo always said, never marry an opinion in July that you're not willing to divorce at halftime of week one. As long as you buy into Mimo's philosophy there, you're okay. Doesn't matter if you have LSU number one in your preseason rankings. Maybe embarrassing, but it doesn't, ha- it doesn't matter if you have them number one. As long as you're willing to watch them get drugged by FSU in the second half and say, mm, nope, think I had them way too high. I'm going to drop them to 16th instead of 5th. Now, if you're in the power ratings world, like I am, if you do what I do in the JP poll, that's not really the way you think. The only thing you're thinking is, well, who would I favor against who tomorrow? And that's really forward thinking. That's not looking in the rearview mirror. Like, like sure, what you've done is baked into a stat profile that is then properly weighted in different ways, but it's not like the kind of merit-based system that an AP poll would provide, in other words. And uh, by the way, if the casual public understood that and only that, I would get 70% less comments than I do on that thing. Because as much as I try and explain it, and I, I beat that dead horse, and then I run over it, back up, run over it again, it doesn't matter. I am about to get someone say, how could you have Ohio State there when they struggled in week one? Because they'd still be favored against everyone if they played this week. That's it. That, they could have beaten Indiana 7-3, to three, and they'd still be in the top five. Because they'd be favored over those teams this upcoming week. That's it. That doesn't mean they'd beat them. But, but let me ask you guys something. I'm talking about the ones who really keep going back and forth with me on this stuff. How long do you think it would take? How many seconds do you think it would take for people to put you out of business if you truly ran a sports book and you released odds for the public to bet on right in line with the comments some of you guys are making on the JP poll? You would be, it would be poverty sports book in two milliseconds. Because you can't do that. Now, where I'm a little out on the periphery is like with Oregon. With, I'm, I'm telling you right now, confidently, I've got Oregon fifth in the JP poll. There are certainly more than five teams in the country that would be favored over Oregon on a neutral field, according to a Vegas odds maker. That is this model saying, nah, I disagree with that. Now, I think the model's ultimately going to be right. Starts this weekend. I think Oregon's going to go to Texas Tech. And they're going to, I think they're going to win, but it's, it's not, it's going to sound stupid. It's not always about that. It is about what kind of critical factors and characteristics do you show? It's about a profile as a team. Again, this is not how I would act as a playoff committee member. If I were a playoff committee member, I care if you win games because that's what sports are about. But if I'm trying to do a power rating, totally different. So anyway, rankings never hurt anyone. If we're in the AP era, Yes, rankings hurt people all the time, but it's okay. We got out of the evil AP era for that very reason. They're watching us in Mill Hall, Pennsylvania, Omaha, Nebraska, San Juan, Puerto Rico. You ever heard me trying to roll my R's, Jesse? Have I ever done that to you? Puerto Rico? Best I can do. Best I can do. Everybody can do it, but two things I can't do. I can't roll my R's and I can't I can't whistle like with my, my fingers in my mouth. And I've always been envious because it feels like it's a prerequisite to be a head coach. I don't know anyone who has risen the ranks of coaching who is not able to, to do the, like, the two-finger whistle. And meanwhile, I'm over here bragging because I can whistle breathing out and in. I got the, but I've also got the, but that's about all I can do. All right, let's add something to the Ramen Noodle Express here, and then let's bring Cole Kublik in. Ramen Noodle Express best bets, and I want you guys to remember, keep in mind, Friday Night Lines, we, last week, we added games on Friday Night Lines that won, and some of you were mouthing off because you didn't check out Friday Night Lines and you thought the Ramen Noodle Express had lost, and it didn't. Fair warning, you need to be following me on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. At Late Kick Josh, I will send out a warning about an hour before we're going to go live. It's, it's later in the night on Friday, and I sit there, and I take the model, and I let you guys fire at me for about 15 minutes, which games you're interested in. I give you what the model thinks, but also I usually add some bets 
on, oh, excuse me, on Friday Night Lions. That was a deep hiccup. So anyway, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. Plus, I'm going to have wall-to-wall behind-the-scenes stuff from the Texas-Alabama game in my story Saturday. So you should definitely be following on Instagram. There's stuff there you don't get anywhere else. Anyway, here are the games we're on already. Oklahoma State minus 2.5. Charlotte plus 24.5. I got Liberty minus 12.5, but you can get a better number right now. Still mad at myself about that. Tulsa plus 35.5. They're at Washington, by the way. Iowa State plus four, that's down to three and a half at a lot of books because every Republican presidential candidate from here to Timbuktu is going to attend the game, which by the way, logistically has me confused because I've been to Jack Trice Stadium before. And I know good and well you guys already had the Iowa game sold out. Where do you just put presidential candidates when they're going to show up? Are you going to sit them in a, you're going to have them buy tickets off the secondary market? Surely not. And that press box is not air-conditioned. So I know those dudes aren't going up there. Those folks care about their hair too much. So someone, anyone in logistics or ops for Iowa State, please fill me in on that. All right, we're on Iowa State plus four. We're on Appalachian State plus 18. We're adding another game tonight. And we're adding, despite Meemaw telling me not to once upon a time, we're adding Trent Dilfer and UAB plus seven and a half. Now, where are they playing? They're playing at Georgia Southern. Okay, so Oklahoma State, Charlotte, Liberty, Tulsa, Iowa State, Appalachian State, and yes, we're adding UAB plus seven and a half at Georgia Southern. But you know what time it is every Thursday night? It's cold cuts time. Not cold. There's no D on the end of this. There's no D period. Immunity. This is about Cole Kublik, friend of the program, acquaintance of the program at the very least. We bring him in. Not for a Q&A, not for a ping-pong style a question and answer session, but just like a general discussion here. Hey, bud, how are you doing, by the way? I was checking. You asked what time it was. I was checking yeah. there. So, so since hey, you ha- can I just can I can I say thank you to you quickly? I yes. just want to give you a shout out. You always can. You've done yeah. so much. You, you've done so much for my career, and you've done so much for our YouTube channel over there, Cube Show, which just hit five thousand, and I see everybody else bragging about their hundred and two hundred thousand subscribers. But really, I wanted to thank you for not bossing me around as much as you do, Jesse. And yeah. I, I, I just want to say that I appreciate that. I'm not sure how he puts up with it on a weekly basis, but thank you for not treating me the same way. I appreciate you for being much more subservient than Jesse is. A lot of people have to be whack-a-mold into place, and you just, you just kind of go with the flow over there. So, so you were at Alabama last week. You saw him against Middle Tennessee State. You and I have talked about Alabama a whole lot. We both have... Uh, pretty high to really high expectations for them. And we were throwing around a lot of, not observations yet, but thoughts about their offensive line last week. So I wanted to go right to this, and I wanted to talk to you about what you saw because a lot of times the theme in week one is I may have high expectations for a team or a unit, and it's not that they live up to that standard in week one, but I see promise. I see signs. Like I got a number of teams I feel that way about. You're sky high on their offensive line, in the preseason, what did you actually see from them last week? Well, that size and that power that we talked about, Josh, it's there. I mean, three guys over 350. And the, it, when they needed to get a push, there were certain times that they did. Struggled with movement a little bit. That's still a veteran front seven that they faced with Middle Tennessee. And you've got a couple younger guys that hadn't played a ton of football. But when it comes together, to me, it does look like a group that can be dominant. Now, pass pro is not going to be their strength. I don't think they're going to sit back there and you know try to have five and seven step drops 40 and 50 times a game. Uh, I don't think J.C. Latham, that's going to be the strength of his game. And obviously not a freshman in Caden Proctor because he hasn't dealt with the kind of edge defenders that he will in this league. But when they find that continuity, that chemistry, they can be dominant. And I saw that a couple of times show up in that game. See, there's one from, from Proctor right there. A touchdown pass from Milro, but I don't want to see my quarterback getting hit. He has to finish that block. And that, that'll come with a little bit of time. There's usually not an offensive line that just wows me week one. I thought Michigan's group looked pretty good. Georgia's group had some ups and downs. Texas, that group were high on that one. It was kind of up and down. We got all excited about the Auburn offense. Oh, there's so much talent in Auburn. They were kind of up and down a little bit because you're going to get smaller players that move a lot more. They're going to play a lot more high risk up front. And you're just not really used to it. And you're going to game speed, which you also haven't done in multiple months. So. I don't really put a stamp on it as this group is this or is that. I like the way you phrased it. Did I see signs of it? Yes, I saw signs of this Alabama offensive line potentially being dominant, especially 
with the tight end help that they're going to get this year, which they've got a really strong room there that I think is going to be able to help them be even more a group that can get a push or play physical football. So, I mean, it's like you fly all the time. I fly virtually every week. You know when you take off and you're in a, a 757, even though it's bumpy on the way up, you have faith that on an aircraft of that size flying a route that's that's that popular, you're going to get to a cruising altitude and it's going to be pretty smooth. And if you're in a turboprop, if you may be on a crop duster, it may just be bumpy the entire time. And so I try and distinguish that, not, not just when we're watching an individual unit, when we're watching teams. Like there's some teams that, that may have played better last week than some that are ranked in the top 10, but we saw every ounce of potential out of already. And you may have some of them. Bama's one, maybe within Bama, the offensive line, where you're saying, ah, oh, we got some turbulence here. But wow, this thing looks impressive. And I think I know what these individuals could be when they gel. It's like looking at the puzzle pieces. They're just not fully interlocked. But you mentioned Texas there. We, before we move on, um, it, out of all of the position units on that team, when we were talking to their team insiders in, in fall camp and preseason, they do an interesting thing over on Horns 24-7. They do a ranking of the groups they're most confident in. And the offensive line was way down the list just on the team of the units they were most confident in. So they, they were up and down last week. They go into maybe the most difficult environment that unit will face, maybe the most difficult team that unit will face all year. What do you see from them against Bama Saturday night? Once again, up and down in that game, you saw some guys with some physical blocks and pancakes. Um, and you saw some letdowns, a little bit of leakage. You saw some pass pro breakdowns. Quinn had to move around a little bit on a couple of throws. You don't want to see that. Last year, actually, McElroy and I were talking about this this morning on our show, how last year Stark really dedicated himself to protecting that group. And I think Will Anderson was a big piece of that, but you had other guys that could still be problematic. This year, Braswell, Turner on both sides. But I think you almost have to add Deontay Lawson to that mix because when we sat down with him, I asked him, I said, what are you more excited, most excited about this year as opposed to last year? You're kind of the guy. You're in that spot. You're the Alabama like Mike linebacker, you're calling the plays and whatnot. And he said, I'm, I'm excited about blitzing, man, to be honest with you. He's like, I think I'm going to get a chance to do that more this year. And he could be someone who could be very successful doing that. Does Sark take that approach? Is it a lot of 12 personnel? Is it a lot of six and seven man protection? Is it a lot of quick ball distribution, which allows you quick or slide protection, which is a college football epidemic that we're heading towards we could talk about on another day. But he did a great job doing that. And his quarterbacks did a great job getting the ball out quickly. I don't know if he feels like he has to take that route right out of the gate this time around, but I think he's going to end up having to take that route at some point this time around. The Texas offensive line has got a ton of talent, and they can play good football. It's just you're dealing with a different animal when it's Braswell, Turner, potentially Lawson coming. A boy be showed me a little bit from that group. Even younger guys like Quindarius Robinson may be able to show up in there and give you something every now and then. I don't think Alabama's going to have to dedicate – five, six, seven guys to get a legitimate rush on Quinn yours or whoever's playing quarterback for the Texas Longhorns. So I don't see them just holding up on their own. I think Alabama's too good, too talented for that. I'm not alone in this, but look, let's just talk about some predictions that we made, some thoughts we had in, in July and in preview magazine season that already just feel a little uneasy. Um, I, like many people, had Clemson playing for the ACC championship game. And then I watched what happened, albeit, it, well, it, actually it was a conference game, so never mind. They didn't even start out a conference. So I watched what happened against Duke, and here's, here's the way I watched that. You can tell me what you thought about it. They had a bunch of turnover issues, and they ended up 28-7. to I almost wish they wouldn't have had the turnover issues so that people could see, even if they played a much cleaner game, it just would have been a dogfight against Duke instead of a blowout yeah. loss against Duke. And so my point is, I think a lot of people, because of what history tells them about how turnovers are randomized week to week, a lot of people are falling back on that false sense of confidence and saying, up to and including the head coach there, once we get this cleaned up, we'll be fine, man. Like Once we get this cleaned up, we'll be off to the races. We'll be the same old Clemson. I just flat out don't believe that. I don't think they'll look special at all. I don't think their, their skill position talent out wide look special outside of Will Shipley. There's nothing special to me about their tailback group. And therefore, I don't, I don't put it all on Kay Klubnik. I just don't know that he has the weaponry around him to make himself look overly special. And so I'm already feeling very nervous about that. It's not that, it's not that they can't win a few games, but man, like the ACC collectively, 
we're going to talk about this later. If Miami looks good, forget about beating a If they just look pretty good Saturday, that's yet another in a long list all of a sudden of potential roadblocks or really, really high hurdles for Clemson. Dude, I don't know if they're going to play for the conference championship. And if I had to bet today, because they're already 0-1 in conference, I'd say no. I don't think they're going to play for it, which then should force someone to ask me, okay, well, Josh, well, if not Clemson, who's going to be opposite FSU in that title game? And my answer is, well, settle down, buddy. It's only week two. That's what my answer would be right now. Total hypocrite. With Clemson fans would tell you, settle down, buddy. It's only week two to, to the things that you brought up. I love the point, first off, guilty, had Clemson in that game. Um, didn't think it was going to be a great season. Didn't have him in the preseason top 10. A lot of folks are mad about that. Uh, but I'm with you in that it, it didn't look very special in a lot of places. I thought the defensive line had a chance, too. I thought the linebackers had a chance, too. Shipley is Shipley. He's a fantastic player. Even Kate Klubnick at times doesn't look special. And that's, what, that's where they were different in years past, is that they had guys that you couldn't manage at receiver, at defensive line, at linebacker, at quarterback, at tailback. And I don't look at a lot of Clemson's roster that I saw Monday night as unmanageable. You brought up a great point on your show. I think it was Tuesday night when you thought the most damning thing that came out of that broadcast was at the end of the game when Luganville said, I have seen no speed differential between these two teams on this field tonight. That's a holy mother <laughs> statement to me because like, that's not supposed to happen. And we can talk about the five-star differential, whatever the hell we want to talk about. But the reality is you saw two teams that athletically looked like they were on the same page. Now there's a, a whole nother direction we can go with that with transfers and where they are and what they're not getting and what other teams got. But then you go to the second half, and physically, Duke was the dominant team in that game up front on both sides of the ball. I, I love what you said about turnovers because I, I didn't, I didn't think those because Clemson's first score, if I'm not mistaken, came from a botched punt only uh, inside score. the thirty only the score. Yeah, there. So all right. So I mean that that helped them. I didn't think that that game was because of the turnovers. There was nothing flukish about that game. Duke took that game from Clemson in a lot of different ways. And to follow up something else you said there, I really like this. What does get cleaned up during a college football season? Maybe that's a conversation that we need to have at some point because you can – I think I've, I equated it to tackling when you said that. Give me a bad tackling team the first three, four weeks of the season – that all of a sudden, week six, we were sitting here talking about, man, remember when that team couldn't get guys <laughs> to the ground? Boy, they fixed that. What do you think they did in practice? They started rolling that giant donut stuff around the field, and they just they got it under control. Penalties last year. Like, if there's one coach that can get something figured out, it's probably Nick Saban. They couldn't get penalties figured out last year. I mean, literally could not come up with a solution to how not have 11 or 12 penalties a game. Like, most of these things, they don't autocorrect. It, it doesn't work that way. And yes, it's one week, it's one game, but man, that's a scary something to think that you might have to get corrected over the course of the season. Yeah, hey, stay in the Palmetto State, because I mean, you, you watch offensive line for every one of these SEC teams at the very least. South Carolina was dreadful all along that unit. And um, look, Shane Beamer and his staff, they're really, they're really good at marketing, they're really good at promotion. I think it serves them well, but a lot of times what it can do is it can it can lead to this false sense of security that everything's okay. And then you show up in week one, and if everything's not okay, it can lead an outsider to say, bro, did you really not know this was coming? You seem so cheerful. You seem so upbeat. Did you not know that your offensive line was going to be a sieve? So you watched them, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. That kind of stuff normally doesn't get cleaned up unless you're getting hurt guys back, and that's not really what's going to happen with them on the O-line. I mean, what are they going to do the rest of the way? Because they don't have like a five or six week stretch before they get to their next tough game. No, no. And some of the fronts they're going to play are just outright scary. I, I don't know another way to put it. I, I, I think you have to find ways to work around it for now. And maybe it can improve. I, I don't think this is going to, it's not a group that's going to turn into 95 Nebraska all of a sudden at any point in the season. You got to work around it. And you go look at some different offenses over time that have not had a lot of talent up front or just not played great football up front, whether that's quick ball distribution out into the flat or it's a couple of more quarterback runs that you have to add, different formations that remove defenders from the box, utilize tempo just a little bit more to try to wear some defenders down where maybe they don't have as much success rushing the passer against you. All those little things that you can add schematically are going to have to be added because I think when Juice Wells gets back close to 100%, they still have good weapons. 
and they still have guys who can be matchup problems. It's just you're not going to have a ton of time to operate or do other things because of your offensive line. So you need to find ways to be successful on offense because of the other things that you have. And that may mean more quick protection, side protection, six, seven man protection. They got to get somebody back opposite Leggett to be able to offset it a little bit. But this is not a team, Josh, that I think three, four, even eight weeks from now, we're going to be talking about is living and dying by the run game and utilizing play action off of it. That's just, there was too much that looked too bad in that opener against North Carolina. So I don't know what else you're on the hook for. I mean, I'm on the hook for things such as having Oklahoma State playing for the Big 12 championship. And I mean, they, they skirted by someone last week. And then Mike, I mean, look, to Mike Gundy's credit, dude has no filter at this point in his life. Not that he really ever has much, <laughs> but he just is in full DGAF mode every time he meets with the media. So he, he steps to the podium in Stillwater the other day and says, hey, guys, he's laughing at himself. He says, hey, guys, get this. So we kind of we quietly sucked in week one. So I met with my staff and I started chewing them out. And I said, guys, if we do this against TCU, if we do that against TCU, when we do this against TCU, and he said, one of my staffers had to stop me and say, coach, we don't even play TCU this week. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, and he's willing to admit it, too. So I'm not backing off of it. I'm going to ride it. But it is strictly because of this alleged schedule that you see on your screen here. If you're listening on podcast, somehow, some way, Oklahoma State plays in the Big 12. They play a conference schedule in the Big 12. And Cole, I kid you not, they play one team from the state of Texas, and it's Houston. That is my only hope at this point. I did not exactly see them firing on all cylinders like I hoped. So they got, I think they got Arizona State Saturday. Of course, we're betting money on them. Um, this, this piece of paper right here, kind of indicative of my hopes and dreams in Oak State at the moment. I don't know if any have kind of crashed and burned like that. Um, I have a couple that I'm second guessing. You know, uh, I had Kentucky as the second best team in the East. I think there's still a lot to like. I thought Trevin Wallace looked great at linebacker. Ray Davis looked awesome. Oh, yeah. Tailback. Yeah. Uh, he kind of like him and Marshawn Lloyd uh, out at USC. I feel like they just completely transformed their bodies as running backs and they look like totally different individuals. Um, I may have jumped. I'm not going to say I believe it, but maybe I jumped the gun on saying USC can't win a national title. I still don't believe they can, but they, they look good for two weeks in a row. So, yay. Uh, but everything else, I mean, I, I had Texas. Okay, Baylor, I thought, was going to be a pretty good football team. So, I, I didn't have in the Big 12 title game. I had Texas and Kansas State. But, yeah, that one, that one was one that really surprised me that I would have been wrong on had you asked me what was Baylor going to be capable of this season. And they still, the, op, the offense still put up yards. Yeah. They made mistakes. Some of those, as we just discussed, could be correctable. Some just may be a part of who you are inside of your DNA. Uh, that part of it I was more surprised about. The defense that they put on the field against a T.J. Finley-led Texas State team, which not many of us thought we'd be saying this time around this early in the year. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dude, I mean, speaking of Big 12 press conferences, before we move on, I was listening to Aranda. Because I wanted to know what went wrong when you lose as a four-touchdown favorite and you're struggling just to stay in the game. And Dave Aranda never pulls punches, especially against himself anyway. You're almost like, Coach, take it easy on yourself a little bit. It's okay. It's not that bad. He said, hey, one of the problems we've had throughout fall camp is we cannot get our wide receivers lined up on the ball properly. And we thought oh we had it corrected. Like this last week of practice, we were good at it. And then all of a sudden... We could not even snap the ball half the game because we could not get our receivers lined up on ball, off ball. That right there, for a guy who I view as very detail-oriented, very attentive to that sort of stuff, 
I was talking to one dude close to Baylor. He says, we, we kind of feel like the result on the field has detached itself from what Aranda's personality is. And I've heard that before, not about him. I, I'm just saying I've seen teams where that happened before and it never ends well. I don't exactly know what's going to happen out there, but I don't have a good feeling about Baylor at the moment. Well, here's the weird part about just that individual statement. If that was... If that was Central Florida or Oklahoma yeah. or Ole Miss or Tennessee, I could get it because there's like there's a whole different operation that you have to go to to play that position for those schools and understand where to be and when to be there and how to get there. I mean, they, they teach certain guys to peel routes off at a certain point in time and not finish your route to go get lined up for the next play. Like, what's official to hand the ball to? They spend time on that in camp. It's not something a lot of teams do, but – that's not there. I didn't expect to hear that. No. So you look at that. Is that correctable? Maybe. We go back to Florida. We talked about them last week. Like penalties, two guys with the same number on. By the way, uh, Middle Tennessee had two 38s on their punt team. Nobody saw it after a penalty, and they came back out again, which was a little bit egregious, I thought. Uh, not a penalty on that. But th- some of these things are correctable, but that's just not one that I expected to hear from Baylor. All right. So. Everyone always wants to know what the story is going to be in a week before it happens. The SEC's got a really weird week coming up. So they, they struggled out of the gate. South Carolina falls, Florida falls, LSU falls, um, you know, golf clap for Tennessee, getting it done against what used to be Virginia. So this week, the schedule's crazy looking because you got, you got like Ole Miss going to Tulane. Of course, you got Texas at Bama. A&M goes to Miami. Auburn goes to Cal, which might as well be Osaka, Japan for people in Lee County. A&M, I mentioned, goes to Miami. You got Vandy at Wake Forest. And I'm thinking to myself, outside of the Texas-Bama game, none of these games are just grabbing the country's attention. But yet, if any one of them, especially like Ole Miss, Tulane, or Auburn, Cal, if any one of them starts going sideways for the SEC team... That thing's going to be put from a far side screen onto the main screen in TVs and in living rooms all over the country. And it could either be, it could either be a status quo week for the SEC. Cause I mean, if, if you go six and one against the schedule, no one's going to say anything, but if you go three no. and three, or if you go like two and four or something like that, and you had the week one, you just had, it could be a really, really tough weekend for the SEC. And I don't think anyone actually sees that coming yet. Are you saying that there are people who cover the sport that may go a little bit of an extra mile to have some fun with that if the SEC were to lose a couple of these games this weekend, not I'm, including Alabama, Texas? I'm saying there is someone, there are multiple someones out there, if I had to bet, with national media credentials who already have SEC, it just means less, saved as a draft in tweets right now, <laughs> or excuse me, Zeets. I feel that that's the case, yes. All right, we'll start with Auburn Cal. This is a scary game. I've tried to warn Auburn fans, be careful with this one. Uh, we had Stanford Steve on this morning just because you brought up the time. And his first response was, because I introduced that game with 930 Central on ESPN. He's like, I love when all you guys in the South have to put the time on the game when it kicks off out West. <laughs> I was just like, Bro, that's when the game kicks off. Like, what are you, Why is that funny? I don't, we don't have 930 kicks here very often in our own stadium. So, yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, I don't know exactly what the quarterback situation is going to be, but if Sam Jackson, the fifth plays, he is – what was that video game where, like, you played in the parking lot? Like, NFL Street. He is, like, legit NFL Street when he's in the game. He was taking snaps and just sprinting to the right and then pulling up and deciding who to throw the football to. But he can he can run. He's got a big, strong arm. But then Ben Finley came in and actually ran the offense. Ott is an absolute studded tailback, super smooth. He can kind of just squirm in through very small holes. He creates yards on his own. He's got some power. I just their offensive line plays hard. The D line plays hard. I, I I think this is a very dangerous game. Be very careful with this game. If you're Auburn, you can't go in there, turn the ball over three or four times, and sleepwalk through this one. Same thing with Mississippi State. I absolutely love this Arizona team. I'm going to be honest with you. Jaden Delara loaded with talent. We know he's got the ability. Does he give some games back? Yes, he does. But there, you can. I'll say this. You can tell Chuck Cecil is on the Arizona defensive staff because that's the way that they play football. There's a lot of times they don't seem to care about making a tackle. There's a lot of times that they don't seem to care about being in coverage. But by God, they want to knock the hell out of you on a regular basis, and they're going to do it. Uh, The big transfer they got from Georgia in the middle on the defensive line, I think he can be a problem. 
The offensive line plays hard, big and physical. They have a really cool scheme. They got every formation in the book. They're going to motion you. And T-Mac can absolutely go every – he can grab every single ball out of the air that he wants to. So they're dangerous at wide receiver. Mississippi State had some trouble in the perimeter. So watch for a lot of quick outlet throws early from Arizona. That's how I would attack them east-west. See if you can get some yards that way. And then when you get your shot plays, you take them. State's going to give them one-on-ones. And Jaden Delara has proven from what I watched last year and what I watched week one, if he gets a one-on-one, he's throwing it. He's going to chuck it down the field. So I think those two are dangerous. Then obviously Michael Pratt and Tulane, I, I, I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to go. That's just, they get that at home. You don't think that game means a lot to that group? And, and they're a more physical bunch than people give them credit for. They're not your typical, oh, power, you know, group of five. They're smaller and can't push people around. I feel like up front, they, they match up fairly well with Ole Miss. So if Jackson Dart's doing what he was doing last week, they'll be fine. But, again, three games that if these teams think they're going to be able to sleepwalk through or play average football against and still win, it will not happen. I think if Miami beats Texas A&M, Point spread-wise, it's not massive at all. The line on the game is like four or four and a half right now. Perceptionally, it's like a bomb going off in College Station because there's a lot of confidence after uh, one week against a team from New Mexico, but I I get it because a lot of those folks just looked at the buttons the offense was pressing, regardless of whether they're playing against air or not, and they said, wow, we're going to actually try and do this this year, huh? And if they go down there and they stall and – if, if that rebuilt Miami offensive line, which is really young, looked good last week, but it's really young, if they start to push, if they start to reestablish a line of scrimmage against AM, which has five stars on the three deep on the depth chart this week, by the way, you, you talk about uncomfortable. And also, simultaneously, we'll get to throw a parade for Miami being back nationally. That's what the media would do. So, I, I, again, you're talking about a lot of games where you, you would have the SEC quote-unquote expected to win this one looks a little tighter point spread-wise, but there is not a soul uh, west of the Mississippi River who is picking Miami to win this game or, or giving them the respect of even expecting them to be within one possession late. And if they do it, it's kind of like you burn all that equity you just built up in week one, and then everyone starts to question everything. And selfishly, uh, just as a, like a science experiment, I, I want to see the first time it goes a little sideways, gets a little wobbly for A&M this year. I just kind of want to see how it's handled internally out there. You know, because you and I have talked about, is there is there an issue internally? Is, is there a, a culture problem? I, I don't know if there is. I'm not accusing it. I, we None of us are ever going to know because we're not there. And I, I think a lot of times when you do have it, the people who are inside, they don't even know it until it's way too late and everybody's getting run. So I, I think the other question there would be, what is the national perception of Miami right now? Do, do people think that they're a team that has some talent? Do people think they're going to be a really good football team? Do they think they're a very capable football team? I kind of don't really know the answer to that because it's been a, a fairly quiet offseason minus, you know, lifeblood or life support or whatever it is. Uh, other than that, we haven't talked about the actual team a whole lot and what they have. You mentioned the offensive line should be upgraded via transfer and recruiting. You have a quarterback who's been really good at times. He's been very average at times, and it feels like there's a little bit more Miami speed on that roster than there has been in the past. So I agree with you. Texas A&M is a better team up front on both sides of the ball. They should be able to control this game there. I love the running back depth they showed last week. The receivers, they're all over the place. They can do a lot of different things. Wigman looks in command of that offense, and everybody's going to say, against who when you play these other teams? That's fine, but he was in command of the offense. And that's what I wanted to see from him, that he's not going to have to do a ton. He doesn't have to be Johnny Football for them to win games. Layden Robinson played good ball. That O-line looked like it might be back. They should be able to push people around. They should be able to disrupt up front on that defensive line. And that should be close to enough in the majority of the games that they play, specifically this one. Your friend, my producer, um, producer Jesse, that's the syndrome he suffers from. He suffers from against who syndrome. That's all I hear. Week one after coming into the office, it does not matter if you scored 937 points on someone, out of his mouth will come the words, who did you play against Hoopst? Um, So I get it. Point taken, man. Sometimes, like, if look, if you're playing Michigan's schedule, we're going to say who have they played in November? Because they're they're not even going to be more than a, what, a single, a double-digit spread will be on every game they play until November. So you got to be able to at least draw something from what you're watching on the field. Okay. I know you've prepared some helpful questions for me, and you had some good yes. ones last week, and we didn't have time. So I said, you know, hashtag never again. I will not 
I will not leave you full handed. I want you to empty the barrel when you come on here. What do you have? Well, one or, one or two may be the same, but I think they could be different based on what we saw from week one. So uh, I'll ask you again, more likely to get two teams in the college football playoff, Big Ten or SEC? Um, well, here was the problem. So I predicted the Big Ten to have two in there. And both of those teams have won games. Penn State, I've predicted to be in. Ohio State, I've predicted to be in. Taking considerable flack for even believing that Ohio State can go better than 7-5 and five right now. So I'm going to say it's more likely the Big Ten can. Because even if I'm wrong about Penn State, that just means Michigan probably had a really good year. So I'm still going to say more likely it's the Big Ten. Hey, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I kind of liked – I feel like Kirk Herbstreit was running the offense part of the time for Ohio State, but I kind of like the under center, like offset eye, like run just ground and pound. I don't know. I, I was – I know people down, uh, up in Columbus probably weren't a fan of it, but I, I was kind of loving it. All right, more likely national champion, ACC or Pac-12? After having seen week one, I would have to go ACC because, like, I didn't – and it, it ain't Clemson, obviously. So, but once we saw Florida State and all that transfer talent, like they were saying in fall camp, we hit on all our transfers. And of course, people say that all the time. Hold on a second. Uh, management's calling. I, hey, I got to call you back because we're recording right now. I'm sorry. No, I, I need. I was actually. He still wanted to talk. Not even you do that. He still wanted to talk. So wow. I'm gonna go ACC. But if you asked me this a week ago, which you did off air, and I gave you a totally different answer. I would say Pac-12 because I'm really high on Oregon and also I've got Southern Cal in that mix. Um, but I'm going to go ACC right now. And that's one team, right? It's, it really is just one team, yes. My hopes and dreams no, no, that's rest why I on thought the it was interesting because, And that's why I thought it was interesting because, listen, I'm not going to watch that Oregon film. I, I don't even know what that was, but it's, I, I don't need to watch a scrimmage to decide what a team's going to be like. I'll wait and watch some more later. But Washington and what they did, USC, as I stated earlier, has looked pretty good. So I, I was interested to see, would you go maybe the one better looking team or with the best win in college football right now or the three or four teams that have played very good football? So, by the way, DJ looked really good on Sunday. So just saying, Oregon State, they're there. Yeah. All right, this is a fun one. More passing yards in 2023. Jalen Milrow, Peyton Thorne. Or Haynes King? I think it'll be Haynes King, actually. Because I think he'll, he'll play catch up enough. Uh, but I could say the same about Thorne. If I say that about Milrow, we got big problems. So I'm going to say Haynes King. Uh, by the way, not, not that it was actually on everyone's radar, but when he started going off a little bit in week one, I started fielding some texts on the iJosh from some A&M folks who were noticing, saying, hold up. You mean, you mean Haynes King wasn't the problem the whole time? You mean maybe his surroundings were a little bit of the problem? So I'm going to go him. I think actually Milrow will be, I don't know. Milrow could throw 13 balls per game and end up having like 270 yards just because every one of them is going to be a deep ball. I, I'll tell you what, I'll go, since I think Bama is going to be really, really high up there in rushing, I'll go Haynes King one, I'll go Peyton Thorne two, if you can guarantee me health, and I'll go Milrow three. Because Thorne obviously is going to have Robbie Asper taking some yards away from him, not yeah. necessarily passing, but of course, you know, running the football. All right, finally, um, better video game all time, Mario Kart or Goldeneye? Uh, Mario Kart, but only because I took a principled stance against Goldeneye because I had Mario Kart before everyone. And uh, my buddy who lived over in Hickory Humble Hollow, break. I'm more of a Pine Ridge subdivision kid. The, my friend over in Hickory Hollow, he got Goldeneye first. He used to get a jump on all the Goosebumps books, too. Aggravated me to no end because he knew the right Walmart to go to. So that's parenting. That's just good parenting. So I never bought Goldeneye. I didn't like it. I never played it. I don't know what a Gatlin gun is. I have no clue. I've just heard of it. Wow. I'm aware that it exists. I have no clue about it. So Mario Kart, give me the banana peel over the Gatlin gun all day. And you'll never even know how to work proximity mines. I feel bad for you. It is what it is. But where are you at this week, by the way? Which game you got? Starkville. I've got that Arizona at, at Mississippi State game. I'm looking forward to it. I'm a little worried about getting back to Birmingham after the game because of where you'll be. But uh, I, think it's, I think it's got a chance to be a really good game. I'm, I'm telling you, there are a lot of parts of this Arizona team that are dangerous. I'm going to golf clap you out of here. Cole Kubelik, Cube Show on YouTube, or as some people will call it, 
that podcast that that dude hosts. Don't search that, though. Actually search Cube Show, and you'll find him in all of his glory. Really, really good content. I appreciate it, sir. I'll see you next week. Look forward to it. And appreciate you guys for joining us. Remember, we are headed to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, like the second we get off air here. Uh, the Once Upon a Saturday tour will be on location. Uh, just if you see me, come up and say, hey, we'll be around. We'll be on the field Saturday night. What a, what a fight that's setting up between Texas and Alabama. Remember, if you haven't already, I implore you, like the video, subscribe to the channel, and subscribe to the podcast. It's free. It doesn't cost you a dime. It doesn't set you back. You don't get spam. Nothing like that happens. It just helps us. So for producer Jesse, for director Colin, for Bradley, the associate even, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Enjoy the games this weekend. Have a great rest of your evening. Friday Night Lines tomorrow on Instagram Live. Until then, take care and God bless.